The president was shot, and I was in my dorm room. I'm Richard. I'm Gary, and these are our incredible stories. All right, with uh, such an incredible um, intro there, it was very spontaneous. We're talking about the 1960s again, I'm sure, and we're talking about you in your college days and the president that, uh, the only president we could be talking about that was assassinated during the 60s would be JFK. That's correct. And uh, let's start off by welcoming all of our listeners from across the United States and around the world. We are really happy to have you again with us uh, this evening. In fact, we, we, we enjoy being with you each week here on the, uh, on the podcast. Uh, we feel you're a special part of the podcast. And frankly, uh, we miss you when you're not there with us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, those of you that are faithful listeners, we appreciate it. And those of you who are tuning in for the first time, we hope that you'll become faithful listeners too. Yes. And so to get to your point, Gary, we are going back to the 1960s. And in the 1960s, uh, my uh, collection of childhood heroes was changing. So I was moving away from the uh, Western heroes of my childhood and uh, looking more at uh, contemporary people. Uh, So in 1960, I was 15 years old, and I decided at 15 years old to get engaged in politics for the first time. So I signed up to uh, work for the John F. Kennedy presidential campaign, and I was assigned the job of handing out campaign literature in my uh, community for him, and it was specifically a flyer about what John Kennedy would do for education. Since I was a student, they figured I'd be perfect for handing out some of his educational material. So I recall distributing a a small, very glossy pamphlet. I still have a few of them today, Gary. Oh, do you? Yeah, and uh, they outlined his thoughts about education if he were to be elected president. Now, as I look at those flyers today, I, I can't help but think how, how fast the sands of time flow through the hour hourglass sounds like a soap opera yeah and well you know how fast time flies uh, uh, yeah I, you know what i try not to think about it too much because uh you know I, I talk about my summer camp experiences every now and then i've been doing that job for 19 years and it always shocks me whenever i run into somebody who was five or six at the camp and now when i see them they're in their mid-20s yeah yeah, it just reminds us that uh, that our we're pa- we're just passing through, and and our lives go go by in a blur. Which means, folks, you you really have to make good use of each and every minute that you have because time is our most valuable treasure. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a a profound thought when we're talking about John Fitzgerald Kennedy because uh, three years uh, after he was elected president, I was a, a freshman in college, and. His assassination had uh, such a profound impact on me. It was uh, November 1963. I still remember exactly what I was doing in my dorm room uh, when someone shouted uh, out in the hallway uh, the horrific news. And it was on the radio, and it was just hard to comprehend the fact that someone had killed the president. That had never happened before in my lifetime. Right. So when an opportunity came up to attend JFK's funeral at Arlington National Cemetery, 
I was located down there in southern Virginia, just a hop, skip away from Washington, D.C. So I jumped at the chance. Two of my college buddies and I felt that it was such a momentous event that we, we just had to be there personally to experience history in the making. So we actually hitchhiked to Washington, D.C., because none of us as freshmen had a car. Well, that sounds really safe there. Yeah, hitchhiking, so we why hit, not? Back in that day, it was fine. And I'll never forget, uh, a guy stopped to pick us up, and he was in this uh, sports car uh, that he crammed all of us into. Oh, really? And I was in the front passenger seat, and there on the on the uh, gear shift uh, panel, um, he had a little glass with a cocktail in it. So Wait, wait, hold on. You got in a car, a sports car, no less, with yeah. somebody who was drinking? Yeah, yeah, but uh, not a bottle of beer or anything. He had a, a, a very uh, upscale cocktail. Oh, beer. yeah, no, it's nothing. It's not It's not alcohol. It's a yeah. cocktail, sure. That's, Anyways, that makes it so much better. We got okay. there. We got there safely. And <laughs> You're still here with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, now... We were standing outside the church in Washington uh, where the funeral was taking place, and we were waiting for the uh, funeral cortege to to pass by. And then, I'll never forget this, a ripple ran through the crowd. Lee Harvey Oswald, who was the alleged assassin, had just been shot dead by a man named Jack Ruby, and it was rippling all through the crowd as we were standing outside the church waiting for the uh, cortege to arrive Mm -hmm. for the funeral. This is what we heard. I mean, it was electrifying news. I mean, the crowd seemed unable to comprehend the meaning of that. Right. It a was, lot happening at uh, the same time. Yeah, first of all, it was incomprehensible that someone would assassinate the president of the United States. And then while you're waiting for his funeral, the guy who supposedly killed him gets assassinated himself. So that's where I was when we heard uh, about Jack uh, Ruby gunning down Lee Harvey Oswald. Then, uh, right about that time, the vehicle carrying the Kennedy family members passed by, and another site that remains burned into my memory to this day was little John John, JFK Jr. Mm -hmm. They called him John John. He was in this little uh, beige blue suit, little child suit, sitting on someone's lap. I think it was a Secret Service agent. Uh, And he was staring out the car window at, at us, who uh, formed the curbside crowd, and he he seemed like he was really unable to, you know, fully comprehend it all. I don't think he really knew what was going on, but it certainly was fascinating to see all those crowds uh, that he was passing by. Uh, so once the cortege uh, moved inside the church, we didn't have invitations, of course, to attend the funeral, so we then made our way to Arlington National Cemetery across the river from Washington in Virginia. And uh, one of the things that I was really moved by uh, was the flyover by the Air Force jets, and there was one jet missing in the formation, Gary, to mm-hmm. signal a fallen warrior. And I also remember the uh, horse that was uh, pulling uh, John F. Kennedy's case on, um, and it had uh, a military boot in a stirrup backwards, another symbol of a foreign, uh, a fallen warrior. And uh, the boot was in a stirrup backwards. Yes, yes. With nobody on the horse? Right. So the boot was there backwards in the stirrup, which was another symbol of a fallen warrior. But the the one that really stands out, of course, was that flyover with one jet missing, and it was all in a precision flying that was going on. And uh, so I was also uh, really amazed when I spotted uh, the French president, Charles de Gaulle. He was leading the whole group of dignitaries. He was the one leading the whole um, group of folks. 
And he towered over everyone that was beside him, behind him. I've never seen a, a human so tall uh, as Charles de Gaulle. And there he was, you know, with his keepy hat and his brown uniform on, looking very resplendent, the president of France leading this delegation. And then I spotted the Kennedy family. There was Bobby Kennedy. There was Ted Kennedy, uh, Jackie Kennedy, uh, Carolyn, and John John. And as, uh, as for de Gaulle, I didn't know much about him. Uh, my only impression at the time was that he was an extremely tall person, as I mentioned. But I, I can't stop saying that he really towered over the people around him. Uh, it kind of reminded me of Marshall Matt Dillon, my Western hero played by James Arness. He was a super tall individual also. I remember seeing him in person at the uh, Illinois State Fair when I was about nine years old. So... Uh, Charles de Gaulle was in that same category. He stood out, and uh, the, you couldn't mistake him, and you couldn't miss him, no matter how large the crowd. So it was uh, a very moving experience for me between watching the caisson drawn by the uh, the horses uh, and the uh, all of the dignity, uh, dignity that went into the funeral procession, uh, uh, and then uh, everything that happened uh, at Arlington afterwards. And the other thing that I remember is... As it was concluding there, everything was concluding at Arlington, I saw a Green Beret, a member of the Green Berets. Right. And he uh, he uh, took off his Green Beret and he left it on something. I can't remember what it was. But in any event, he left his Green Beret there in honor of John F. Kennedy, our fallen president. Wow. Wow, that's something else. That's uh, that. That's a unique part of American history, and the fact that you actually got to be there and be a part of it is a whole nother thing. Yeah, I think he left it near the eternal flame uh, once the crowd dispersed, because we stayed there for the entire thing and then beyond. So uh, I think this was after everything was done, and and he laid it right there where the Kennedy casket was. Did you take any photos? No, no, no. I mean, we were all crammed into a small sports car. No luggage allowed. <laughs> I don't know how we got back. I can't remember how we you got back. You probably hitchhiked back. Yeah, we we had to have hitchhiked back, have. but I don't remember that one because the whoever took us back didn't have a cocktail in a sports car. Yeah, well, thank goodness. <laughs> well, you know, these kind of world events, they do leave a mark on us. You said you remember where you were, what happened probably like it was yesterday. And I re was thinking about uh, September 11th when you were talking about that because for me, that was a similar moment because I remember every single detail about that day. I was a freshman in high school and I remember the moment everything happened and, and having somebody come in yelling that something had happened, that a plane had flown into one of the towers and I remember them turning the TV on and we all sat there captivated watching everything unfold in front of us in real time. And it was such a surreal moment and so unbelievable. And much in the same way you couldn't comprehend that uh, somebody would shoot the president, we couldn't understand why people would fly planes into the Twin Towers. It was beyond any comprehension as to why anybody would do something like that. But it's funny how those things kind of stick out in our minds. And I know, like, for this year, there's going to be a whole generation of children and high school students and even us adults who are never going to forget the year 2020 because of all of the things that have happened 
alone uh, in this year uh, and how that's impacted everything forever. These little things that uh, it's like throwing a stone into a pond. The ripples just keep expanding and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so. with, with any life, uh, if, you, if uh, you're aware and think about it, with any life, there are a number of momentous occasions uh, where you will always remember where you are when something happened. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Sure. Uh, and uh, with a lot of folks that might be listening to us right now, it's, uh, it could be the 9-11 event that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all of us remember that who were around and old enough to Vividly. comprehend what was going on. And, and you're right. Um, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, people are going to look back at the year 2020 and they are going to vividly remember what they had to do to survive COVID-19. Yes. And yes. so that's something that will be uh, a historic memory uh, in, baked into people's uh, memory banks forever. Oh, absolutely. And for me, it's a little bit more reminiscent of stories that I heard from Grandma Lewis, who grew up in Texas uh, during the 20s and 30s. And her family went through the Great Depression. And because of the area of the Southwest that she was in, they also went through the Dust Bowl. And I mean, that was a situation there where... You couldn't step outside without having a mask on your face because if you breathed in the dust that was in the air, it would get in your lungs and clot up. And then you couldn't breathe at all. And they would have to use things like turpentine and honey to, you know, keep kids from um, suffocating on dust. You know, so, and and that was uh, an event that, uh, besides the depression, that affected a whole generation of of children. And to that, uh, since we're talking about it, you know, she grew up and as we grew up, uh, she never wasted a thing because during the, that period of time, you couldn't afford to waste anything. And it was something that stuck with her all the way up until she died. She never wasted a single thing in the house. Everything had to be used, and things that were left over could always be used for something else, ultimate recycling. And I feel like the things that we're taking away now from this year will stay with us for a long time, and you'll see a lot of things that... Uh, people's habits and, and um, the way they live their life will be forever altered. Exactly. And uh, we won't know the uh, true effect until 10, 20 years down the road. But, exactly. Uh, once again, like I say, uh, all of us, all of us experience incredible moments. And I, I hope that uh, everyone who's listening to us uh, is aware of their incredible moments, appreciates their incredible moments and, and treats them uh, for what they are very, very special. Absolutely. And don't be afraid to share it with people. If no, you've got an incredible no. story. Tell them. Tell them. Tell, tell them. People. Yep. Right. People are always interested in listening. Yeah. So, but as for now, I have to say once again. I'm Richard. And I'm Gary. And this was an incredible story. <laughs> <laughs>